continuing on in our study in the book of Acts, right? And it's been kind of a wild ride as we've followed this early church that keeps growing and growing, right? And it's growing at a fast pace. There are increased miracles that are happening, miracles of healing, miracles of provision. There are deliverances happening where people are being delivered from demonic influence. There are people that are overcoming sin. In fact, the church, we just read, overcame sin that kind of cropped up for the very first time in their midst and kind of threatened their unity, and God took care of it. And then there's been persecution. Persecution because this success has gotten the attention of those who uh, are against the church, those that don't want to see the church go forward. Um, the evil ones working through them. And so they've came to persecute their ranks. But with all these things, the church is still stimulated to grow more and more. And it keeps growing. And so much so that it would be a pretty much a, a challenge for 12 disciples to oversee 12 apostles because we're now into multiple thousands that are in the church at this point. And I want you to know something about this church. This church is in Jerusalem. That's where it's been right now. And it's mostly and solely made up of Hebraic Jews. So that means Jews that live in Jerusalem. Or they live in the surrounding areas. And these are folks that were born and raised and they speak Aramaic. So they're a type of Jew. But then there's another minority group within the church and it's the Hellenistic Jews. And these are the folks that from out of town that came for the festival and stayed and became a part of the church. These are foreign-born Jews. They don't speak Aramaic, they probably speak Greek. And, and so they're different, and they're a minority group. Um, but they're in this church together. Now, this morning, we're going to discuss, and, and we get to look into, the first time there's an inter-group dispute. You've got... This group of people, most of them are the same, but then you've got some folks that are different in their cultural backgrounds, in their languages, in their approach to things, and now there's going to be an intra-group dispute in the church. Now, let me ask you something. Do individual Christians and in churches really have disputes? Do, do they? Are you serious? Where they really fight or, or are at odds at one another? Do Christians or groups in a church, do you really have disputes to the level that you might split as a church? Huh? huh? Well, some people go, yeah. I hope that's not news to people. You know, when I first came into the church, right, I didn't grow up in the church, and so I came to the Lord, here I am saved, I am zealous as all get out, but I'm young. I wasn't even 16 yet. I didn't go to church with my family, no other family members. My parents were there. I was there because I was looking for something. I was looking for the truth. So I might have been unique for my age, but there I was. And man, I came in like gangbusters, and my life changed, and the Lord grew me, and I went through Scripture, and you've heard me talk about that. And I was on fire for the Lord, and so I was there every time the church doors were open. But about a year into my it was actually less than a year into my jaunt in the church. I probably wasn't even 16 yet. 16 years old, I went to my first church business meeting. I, you know, 
they said, and I must have been 16, because you had to be 16 or older to be there, and I went, shoot, I'm going. I'm going to go there and see what's up. So I came into this business meeting. Wow! Were my eyes opened. I don't know. See, we've never had those kind of business meetings in our church. We've talked honestly and frankly with people and openly, but we were never like this church, man. I'm sitting here in the pew watching this thing happen, and I've got a person over here, and this person is angry. They're bitter. They're spitting mad, and they're yelling at somebody across the church. And they're arguing back and forth, and I'm sitting and I'm watching this, and I'm going, hold on a second. These people, they smile at each other all the time. These people worship together. These people fellowship together. And now they almost look like they're enemies with one another. And they're, and they're arguing over things that seem trivial. They don't count when it comes to Christ, when it comes to the lost, when it comes to things that are really important of the faith. These things don't mean anything. And what is going on? And I just sat there dumbfounded. I know there were some that thought, oh, dude, Kelly might be done with the church, man. He may not come back. Because, <laughs> you know, some people don't. They go, oh, shoot, I, life is too short. I don't need this kind of drama. I'm history. Right? But it didn't throw me. It really didn't. My experience with Jesus and my relationship with him was solid. And it was so strong. And you know what? I had grown up in a family that fought out loud. Amen? Any of you? <laughs> man... I grew up in a family that loved each other dearly, but man, you never got stabbed in the back in my family because you took it face first. <laughs> right? And we were loud. And we were honest. And we were straightforward. And you had to be willing, really willing to stand your ground and, and stand up if you were going to have a discussion or a dispute or a fight in my family. And that's the way it was. And so I thought, I'm good. You can still love each other and do this, but boy, this is pretty immature. And this really isn't going to... This isn't going to go well, I don't think. I don't think, this is, I don't think they're close enough to do this. And so I watched it. Well, about a year and a half later, I was only in the church. Golly, within the first two years, all the stuff I experienced was crazy. Uh, we had a division. We had to bring arbitrators in. The church did split. It didn't really split right down the middle or anything, but there was a minority group that left, and uh, then there were others that stayed. And it was pretty devastating. And uh, I had to d deal with some of my own bitterness about certain things um, that I felt weren't very righteous or very godly that were done. Um, and I knew that things had to change and things needed to be different in the church. Uh, we needed to treat each other different. How do you navigate issues that can be divisive and they really can threaten your togetherness and your unity? As a church, as a family, even with your relationship with the Lord, how do you navigate those things? So I want you to read with me how the early church navigated issues that threatened to undo them. And, and really what happened in the midst of this is there was a proposal made by the apostles, and this proposal preserved their unity. It was an important proposal. It was an important perspective that they had that really preserved their unity. And I think that if we have these kind of perspectives, or we take these kinds of steps in the church, but also in our walk with the Lord, it will preserve our unity with others. 
We're going to have conflicts. We're going to fight. But we can fight forward. We can fall forward. You know what I mean? We can be closer because of it rather than get pushed apart, which is what often happens. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 6. I want you to hear what God's Word says as we continue on in our study. It says in verse 1, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, you know, this was a time and season of growth. didn't always happen this fast in this way. But this was a time when it did happen. It says the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Very practical thing. And to be overlooked as a minority group, that feels doubly bad sometimes. You feel discriminated against, don't you? You feel bad. You feel like maybe you're not valued as highly. And that's how they felt, and so they were complaining against the, the Hebraic Jews that were the, the majority. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together, and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention, then, to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to find that out, aren't we? Also Philip, Procurus, maybe, Nicaor, Timnon, Paramias, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert of Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And then it says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the, to the faith. Their unity was preserved. Praise the Lord. They, they weathered that storm. They weathered it, praise God. So the main concern and the main context of our passage today is basically this minority group, the Hellenistic widows, they're being overlooked in the daily charitable distribution of food. It was a distribution. It was an oversight issue. It can happen. Things like that can happen as things grow, as, as a church changes. Things can happen, and you can be missed. And it says in, in, in the modern English word complaint, it makes it sound like it was a little more formal and open, this complaint they were having against these other Jews. But guess what? It was more like what happens today. It wasn't open, and it wasn't formal. Those people, the, the, the Hellenistic Jews were unhappy. They were grumbling. They were murmuring. They were complaining and criticizing without making their comments public. Do you know what it means? I mean, they were having the meeting out in the parking lot, right? They were having the meeting off to the side. And they were kind of upset and griping and criticizing about what was going on. That's what was happening here. Wow. And you know that those kind of meetings and that kind of stuff going on, that can really cause divisiveness in a group real quick, can't it? it the Bible said up to this point they were all together and of one heart, and one soul, and now they're not. And I'm here to say something. It would have been better for these Hellenistic widows if they would have just brought their concerns to the apostles. Do it face forward. 
I've always learned that. It's better to look your opponent in the face rather than, you know, do this kind of stuff and run. Or, or to go snipe from a distance. Or, or go have a little sidebar meeting. It would have been better. It would have been better to trust the leadership to resolve the issue. It would have been better. Uh, and we should do that in the church. And we should do that with God. Face forward if there's something that's really an issue for you and a problem. Deal with it honestly. Deal with it openly. Give it time. Don't expect something to be done immediately, but expect that you can journey to a solution. Um, so, because issues like this can split a church. They can divide a group of people, and they can do it quickly. Um, and therefore, because they were doing this, the apostles discovered it, and they probably discovered it through the grapevine. They had to act quick, and they did some things. And this is what they did. Here's the first thing. They made sure everybody understood, and you're not going to get this from the passage right off the bat, but this is important to get because it's there. All obedient service is equal in importance. They set that as a tone. All obedient service is equal in importance. The ministry of overseeing, overseeing this few distribution is just as important as the preaching of God's word. But did you read it that way when you read that passage? I know when I first did, I didn't read it that way. I saw that the apostles felt like their, their ministry of the word and our prayer was much more important than the ministry of tables, right? But that's not the truth. It's in the original language, it is true and it's clear, but in our English translations, it's not. When you and I read the words in verse 2, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. We first see that the ministry of the word as more important or higher calling, and we see it that way and hear it that way than waiting on tables. But it's not what the text indicates in the original language. The Greek word used for ministry when it comes to the word is the same Greek word used for waiting on tables when it comes to tables. The exact same word. And that's important to get that. So really, verse 2 should more accurately read, and it does more accurately read in some translations, it would not be right for us to neglect the service of the word of God in order to serve at tables. You see, it's, they're both important. Whether a believer's called to the ministry of the word or the believer's called to the ministry at the table, his or her service is quantitatively the same. Although it takes different skills, it takes different gifting, it still is just as important. Just as important to the witness of God and the work of God in the world. Just as important of the, to the witness of God and work of God in the church. They depend. The church depends. The world depends. Evangelism depends on all forms of service. So Luke doesn't give us this sense that one's more powerful or one's more spiritual than the other. And we need to see that as a church. Because sometimes our unity is threatened by that. Because we think, well... You know, you're not anybody unless you're doing this. Or you're not anybody unless you're in this ministry. That's not true. They're all equally important. Equally important. Powerfully important. Think of it. And that's what the scripture's telling us, and that should help maintain our unity. But there's another sub-point that kind of comes to truth and comes to light in this passage. 
if you're called to serve the word, you shouldn't neglect serving the word in order to serve tables. Okay? Right? That's clear in that passage. Serve the word then and stay with it. If you're called to serve tables, you should not neglect the, the calling to serve tables in order to be on the worship team, say. Or to, to, or to be a preacher. These things have got to be in the balance that the Holy Spirit has placed you in and called you to. And guess what? It's not black and white. There's a balance. There's an ebb and flow to it. And it's got to maintain balance, but we have to be clear about that. There are some who've been called to preach the word and be pastors, and as they've gone along, all of a sudden they end up running a business and they leave the ministry. Boy, you better make sure that's of the Lord if you do that. You hear me? <laughs> I had to once do odd jobs as I first began in, my, in our ministry here. I had to mow lawns with my kids who had a lawn mowing job to make ends meet. And I had to do other jobs and things to do that, but I had to keep that in its place. And God was always careful to remind me, you, Kelly, keep that in its place. I tried to be a substitute teacher. God said, no, you're not going to make money in that because you're going to get too involved and too attached there because this is what's more important. So, no, I got the certificate. I went through all the training. Asked me how many days I substituted. Zero. Because <laughs> the Lord said, no, because I'm pushing thinking. I tried to start a restaurant. I don't know how many times, right? I'll do a restaurant on the side. Whatever. See, I'd have to do it through other people and just be the owner of the restaurant because owning a restaurant, running a restaurant is a huge amount of money. I mean, a huge amount of time and work. And it does take a lot of money too. And the Lord said, no, Kelly, no. And so I had these different things that were always kind of tempting me because I thought, well, I'll make ends meet that way and then I could do the ministry. No, you only have so much energy, so much time, so much opportunity, don't you? I'm not a limitless male. Did you know? I, every time I see that commercial, I tell Joe, I'm going to become a limitless male. That's right, man. And she goes, oh, please. <laughs> please, I need you to be half of the male you are, right? That's what she tells me. That would be better. And so, <laughs> now I'm getting off on things. That commercial is such a bunch of baloney. I love you. If you've gone to do that, go. Oh, my wife's saying stop. Okay, I need to stop. <laughs> okay, stop, stop. I'm stop. I'm sorry. Or, that's right, boundaries. Boundaries, Kelly. I had one of my sons say, Dad, remember, you're not a comedian. You're a pastor and a preacher. He goes, because sometimes you go to an edge that isn't good to go to. So I go, okay, I won't. So see, you know, it's, it's so important that what we do in ministry and that we go to the Lord and know, and we know that we're doing unto the Lord, we obey Him. So stay in our lane. Stay in your lane. And that's what they're saying here. Look at guys, this church is going like mad. we got a lot going on. we got to do a lot of preaching, a lot of evangelism, a lot of stuff. We cannot do it all. And, and we try to do it all, but we can't. None of us can. So we need each other. And that gives great value to people who serve tables. Those seven men were given a powerful 
responsibility, and they had a wonderful ministry. It was so important, and it was needed. And the apostles understood that. They did. Ironically, one of the table servers, Stephen, he turns out to be a more gifted preacher than some of the 12 apostles. But he was a table server. See, his, his gift of preaching, it seems like God set it aside for his servant, his service of resource distribution. Because that's what he was called to do at the time. At that moment, God needed him for that purpose. And God would use him for that purpose rather than be a server of the word of God. So that's important to see. So important for us to see as we're traveling together in ministry. And when you have a ministry like that and you set the tone, you can stay together because you value each other. So all obedient service is equal in importance if you follow God's call in that service. So thank you to those of you who are. Thank you. Because it's so needed. Number two, you've got to choose something. You've got to choose leaders who possess a certain quality of faith. Leaders have to be chosen because they have a certain quality of faith. So I'm going to describe the quality of faith that these leaders really exhibited, and I'm going to use the acrostic of the word faith. So you can follow along with me on your outline or up on the screen. The F stands for faithful. Leaders have to be faithful, and he told them that. Pick people who are known to be full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. So these were faithful people, faithful men. Their private life and their personal devotional life, it supported their public life and their ministry aspirations. See, that's why they could be there. People know what your reputation is. They know what you're about and what you do. And so it's important if we put somebody in a position of leadership that their, their personal life doesn't undermine their public ministry. And sometimes that keeps some of us from moving on with the Lord. Because we've got to grow in character still. And we've got to grow, grow in faithfulness. We've got to trust the Lord in those things. Um, right? We've got to be found faithful. And so a leader must be faithful. These guys were faithful. Well, the second thing is you've got to be available. That's the second thing. They were present when the church gathers. They were willing to make the time and create the space for service and following God's call. They were willing to make it a priority. They're available. Some people have giftings. Some people might always have, even have calling, but they don't make themselves available. They have too many other things they're into. Too many other things they want to do. They don't want to be there. But if you show up every time the, the church doors are open, if you show up when we gather in the name of Jesus, if you're regular and consistent, people will know that and people will trust you. And, and you'll, you'll be set to move on in ministry. And people can trust you. You'll have integrity. But it's because you're available. We've got to make ourselves available to God. And that's our choice. Number three, leaders have to be insightful. That means they've got to possess the gifts and wisdom for the ministry or task that they're going to embark on. They've got to possess a tailored fitness for the service that, that they're called to and to meet the present needs of the ministry that they're called to fulfill. 
You know, there was a time when I became a middle school pastor. Not everybody's tailor fit to be a middle school pastor, but I was, and I loved it. And, and so, therefore, I did it. And people always go, what in the world? Why in the world would you do that? Well, it's because I had a heart for that, and I had a fitness for that, and vice versa for any ministry that you do. Why do people work in children's ministry? Because they have a fitness for it. And they have an ability for it. And, and a calling, they're tailor-made, right? In choosing the seven leaders in our passage, I don't know if you noticed, did you notice something about the names of the seven men who were chosen? Did they have Hebrew names? No. They all seven had Greek names. Kind of makes sense if, if the Greek widows are being left out, you're going to grab Greeks to oversee it because they're going to be sensitive to it. And they're going to understand what's happening. And, and, and it's going to show that the apostles aren't just racist or going to just choose Hebraic Jews. They're going to also choose, choose Hellenistic Jews for, for places of service. So, so God picked. And the apostles identified seven Greek men that were believers, that were full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's pretty cool, isn't it? They were insightful and they had giftedness. The T stands for teachable. In faith, you must be teachable. Uh, they have respect for their teachers. If you are teachable, you do have that. You have respect for leaders. You have a humility and ability to learn and to work respectfully with other people if you are teachable. And we all know that sometimes we're not coachable and we're not teachable. But if you want the Lord to use you, you must be coachable and must be teachable. And God bless you if you're going through a time, a school of obedience with the Lord or a school of submission with the Lord. I've been there, done that, and have the t-shirt. I'm better for it, but boy, was it difficult. Because unless you're teachable, what can you do? You're like a wild horse that, that you can't do anything with. We've got to become teachable. And these men were teachable. They submitted to the leadership and to prayer and to the authority that was given them. Um, they knew they needed it, and they submitted to that. And finally, these men were Holy Spirit-filled. And, and you kind of go, wow, how'd they know that? Well, they did. These men were known. They had to be vetted. They had to stand up to the test, so to speak. And these men were men that depended upon the guiding presence and the superseding power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish God-sized stuff through them and in their service. These were men that just didn't say, well, it's service at the table, well, no big deal. No, they saw it as a ministry of the Spirit and in the church to believers. This was part of the way God was going to grow his church. And, and so they trusted the Spirit. These are men, these are women. See, we, we see women too because we're co-heirs in Christ, co-laborers in Christ, in our modern church and in our day. So women are up there too, but these are the men and women we look for. People of faith, this quality of faith. And so to maintain unity in the body, these kinds and types of leaders who possess these qualities, they have to be put in place. And, and when they're not put in place, or if it's not there, that creates trouble 
and can create problems with unity. And then there's one more important note, uh, point to note. Ministry came to these men and women, right? They were recognized. It was recognized in them. It was not something they aspired to. I'm just telling you that. If it's in you and around you, just keep taking the steps, and it will, it will in some ways find you, and people will recognize it in you. They'll recognize a person who's faithful, who's available, who's insightful, who's teachable, and who's Holy Spirit-filled. People will recognize that, and leaders will too, and they will call you forth. Doesn't mean that you don't have to also play a part in the partnership, but you don't have to get all hot and worried about it. It'll be great. You can fulfill your ministry until you're called into that place. These seven guys were fulfilling that ministry. They were Holy Spirit-filled. They had wisdom. They were seen as leaders. They just didn't have this authoritative position as such. It don't matter. I stepped off the board of evangelism. Oh, excuse me. That's not it. I was on that a long time ago. I've been on a lot of boards in the state, but I'm no longer on the board of elders. I was the chairperson of the board of elders for a few years. Then I was the vice chairperson for a few years. And I just recently stepped off it. And you know, I told somebody, I go, my role doesn't change. I'm going to be the same me as I've always been. I'm going I'm to do the same things I've always done. Because I'm called to do it. it does, I don't need a title to do that. And I'm going to support you. And I'm going to pray for you. And I'll be there if you need me. Right? That's the way it goes if in ministry and in the church. And if you've got that kind of mentality about your calling and your gifting, uh, unity is going to be easy to have with other people. Right? It's going to be easy to have. Because we're always teaching around our giftings. We're always moving around them before we're actually, they're actually identified and people will identify them. So that'll help with unity. We've got to choose these kind of quality of leaders. Well, here's the third thing, though. Leaders have to be recognized and commissioned in prayer. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And they received them and the church grew. Every working member of the body has to be mutually submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ, who is the head. They have to be put in place by the direction of the Holy Spirit, who works through each member to guide and empower the church. That's how it happens. So there has to be agreement among the leadership to be recognized for service. There has to be agreement among the leadership to be commissioned with authority, which you're laying on hands of a leader in... And prayer is an act of bestowing authority upon that person to fulfill that service. Therefore, if there's not agreement in a particular time, then essentially, guess what? You're not called, or I'm not called at that particular time, if there is not agreement. My calling is affirmed not just by me or my family or my close circle of buddies, but it's, it's affirmed by the church the fellowship of believers and its leadership. If the fellowship of believers and its leadership do not agree that I'm gifted or called, guess what? Guess what? I'm not gifted or called. Does that sound harsh? No, that's a guard. 
It's true. It's truth. It's truth. Right? It's truth. For example, some of you know, some of you played football as a kid. You all get out there with your buddies out on the field and we're going to play football. Who wants to be quarterback? I do, I do, I do. Everybody wants to be quarterback. Right? Everybody wants to be quarterback. But guess what? People fall in a lot of different categories, don't they? Not everybody is gifted or everybody has the complete package to be quarterback. So one guy over here has got a great arm. He can throw with accuracy. But guess what? He's short, he's slow, and he has a great time, hard time thinking on his feet. So is he going to be your quarterback? No, no. Then you got another guy over here. Man, he is the fastest guy on the field. But he can't make a decision. And he can't throw the ball. So is he going to be your quarterback? No, he's close, but he's not there. And then you might have this awesome decision maker. This guy makes the best decisions. He can understand the field. He can understand defenses. But guess what? He's short, he's slow, and he doesn't have an arm. So what do you do? You make him a coach, right? That's what you do. <laughs> you make him a coach, but you don't make him your quarterback because he doesn't have the complete package. He's not there. He's not gifted or called to that. There's not agreement on that. And some of us may have two out of three. So, in fact, some of us may have all three, but just our heart and our attitude is still needing to be adjusted so that it's submitted to the Lord and to others. God's given you all the gifts. It's just your heart that needs time. So leaders must be recognized, and they must be commissioned in prayer to fulfill their, mission, their ministry. I, you know, as a part of my jaunt sitting on the board of credentials, I did that for a lot of years. That means that we meet with people who feel they're called to ministry at different levels, and then we ordain people. Did we ordain everybody who thought they should be ordained? No. Does that sound like a rough position to be in when you tell a person, look at, you know, you have a ministry, but you really need to stay commissioned for that ministry, and God's doing something else in your life rather than leading you to ordination because you're not called to ordination. Somebody's got to do that, don't they? Somebody has to do that. And you've got to have you know, the calling and, and the leadership and the openness and the willingness to t speak the truth and love to people. And that's what leadership has to do. Uh, man, nobody likes to do that. Nobody likes to, to kind of disappoint anybody. But you want, you've got to tell people the truth and help them find the truth for themselves. If everything you're called to is of equal importance, that means God's got something wonderful he's calling you to. If you're not supposed to be ordained or commissioned, maybe he's got something else for you that's just as important and just as powerful as these other things. And see, if you see it that way, now you don't get upset about the fact that people help you discern something and they don't agree or, or they give you some new discernment and you've got to like embrace it and accept it because you trust them. And leadership must recognize and commission in prayer, or else it's not a done deal. So these things lead to help us toward unity. And because they proposed this, and because the church went and acted on it, the Bible tells us then in verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. 
And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Even those hard-nosed priests gave up their old religion and came to the faith. See, when these three leadership values, these three leadership principles are maintained, it will maintain unity. It'll preserve unity in the church. So I've got a question for you and me. How are we practicing and embracing these principles as individuals and in our church ministry? How are we doing that? And are we working to help one another through these things? There was a time I was called to ministry and called to be a pastor, but I had to be called out that the reason I was where I'm at is because I had to learn submission and how to submit to the Lord. And I would in due time if I received that truth from God. And you know who told me that? Was a guy who had learned it himself. And when I looked at him, I said, you're right. That's what God is doing. And once I submitted to it, once I received it and walked in it, it wasn't long until I was called into full-time ministry. But I wasn't ready yet. And the church wouldn't have been ready for me yet. Good grief, could you imagine? You know, a non-submitted me in the midst of ministry? Oh, that would have been horrible, right? So, how are we practicing and embracing these principles as individual believers and in our church ministry? And then, where might we need to repent? Where might we need to practice so that we could have a more complete unity and greater unity and effectiveness in our church, just as the early church had? Where do we need to repent and really practice principles of unity? So I want you to stand with me this morning. Let's close in prayer. This may not have been a message that was right on the, the money for every person in the congregation today, but I do believe there's something here for all of us. Amen? As the church goes forward, as the, as the leaders go forward in the church. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would bless us as your church body and that we would reflect your values as your people. We pray that we would be people of the word and people of you, Jesus. We would follow you and obey you, your teaching, your, your attitudes, your guidance, your example as believers. And we pray that as we grow in that and do, that you would preserve our unity, Lord Jesus that you'd help us to constantly preserve our unity, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, that your grace and, and your calling would be the thing that we would continue to come back to, and the grace and calling of each one of the other believers in our body, because you've called each one of us. You've shown grace to each one of us, and because of that, each one of us has a powerful role to play. So help us to build each other up, Help us to be there for one another even when it's difficult uh, or when the messages are difficult. And may we all be people who can preserve the unity of our body and of our fellowship in the bond of peace and in Jesus. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. Amen. This morning.